take the day off message is, is really important because most mothers in America don't have the room, the luxury, or they don't feel like they, they can take the time for themselves or take the day off and, and discover who, who they are and what, what continues to bring them joy outside of their families or outside of their work. Uh, so it's, it's something that I am continuing to explore through meditation, um, through reading, and also just trying things out. Um, yeah. Remind myself of, you know, who I am and bring back that fun self. If you have full, employees with fuller and richer lives where they're able to live, live their lives beyond work and you support that, they're actually going to end up being more engaged and more productive as well. And, and I think that this argument is still very fuzzy for many executives. And it's continuing to show that like happiness leads to more engagement, which leads to more productivity. So you need to give people the room to dress yep. burnout and also figure out things that bring them joy outside of their day to day. Managers need to figure out what works best for their specific teams. A lot of the companies that I've seen fail when it comes to implementing new work models are those who assume that work is one size fits all that everybody's work's the same, so everybody needs to be subject to the same policy. This is Take the Day Off, a Mother Honestly podcast powered by Splendid Spoon. Women have always taken on the larger share of the domestic and caregiving responsibilities at home. Cooking, cleaning, laundry, childcare, sounds familiar? While these are absolutely important in keeping our households running smoothly and efficiently, we also know that women, as a result of the uneven, repetitive, and usually unrelenting household chores, endure stress, anxiety, burnout, and depression. This podcast is about taking the day off from your personal or professional to-dos and bringing the focus back to you and on what matters most to your personal well-being indulging in a creative pursuit, or simply getting some sleep. Weekly, we'll check in with you to learn more about what you're doing to take the day off, or simply some take the day off moments. In turn, we will harm you with the resources and know-how to take the day off, rejuvenate, and even better, unplug and get the rest that you deserve. We can only do this if we all do it. We must band together to show our young children and society at large that care matters. I am your host, Blessing Adeshion, founder and CEO of Mother Honestly, a chemical engineer, energy supply chain and operational excellence leader, and mother of four. You will also hear from my friend and co-host, Andrea Mullen, founder and CEO of Victory PR and mother of two boys. We are here to take the day off with Splendid Spoon. Sheila Subramanian is a vice president of the Future Forum, a consortium launched by Slack to help companies reimagine work in the new digital first world. Founding partners include the Boston Consulting Group, Miller Knoll, and MLT. Sheila is also the co-founder of How the Future Works, leading flexible teams to do the best work of their lives, which offers a blueprint for using flexible work to unlock the potential of your people. We're so thrilled to have you today, Sheila. As you may already know, our focus here at Mother Honestly is helping mothers thrive in the workplace, and we don't think it's possible without 
talking about how the workplace is being reimagined. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having me today. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. So let's kick off. Um, I'd love to kick off with the idea of, you know, just that reimagining the workplace, which has been something that Blessing and I talk about all the time, top of mind, how do we make it work? Um, mm -hmm. And the idea, you know, for me, it was obvious before I even became a mother that having an outside life and feeling fulfilled in all components of my life just wouldn't be possible in the standard nine to five workplace. So can you tell us, talk to us about where we are now? And something you've mentioned before is the danger of retrofitting the old rules of the office workplace into this new dynamic um, and how we can maybe avoid that. So can you kind of like paint the paint the picture for us, set the stage? Yes. So Future Forum was founded in 2020 after we saw organizations make bigger changes than they ever thought were possible and how their employees worked. But what we saw was that most companies simply did the lift and, they sh and the shift. They lifted traditional office-based practices and they shifted them into people's living rooms. And then we saw the cracks begin to emerge, whether it was the she session, where at the time, one in four women were looking to downshift their careers or leave the workforce entirely. It's actually up to one in three women. Um, we've seen the YOLO economy. You only live once where we've, we've seen people also leave their desk jobs and other jobs to find opportunities that offer them more fulfillment. And now we're in this era of the great resignation. So what our data shows is that over half of employees are open to looking for a new job in the next year. What's been really interesting to see is uh, the conversation from reimagining to redesigning what work looks like. And I think the response among many leaders right now is that people just don't want to work anymore, or I can't get my employees to do the jobs that they've been hired to do. And that's not what's happening right now. People want to work. But what we're seeing is that people want more choice in how they work. They want more autonomy. They want more trust. And the trends that we've seen over the last two and a half years have not necessarily been around people's motivation to work. Instead, it's shifting the conversation from power, command, and control to giving employees more choice and more freedom in terms of the way that they show up to work every day, how they want to work, and ultimately how they balance, or I don't believe in work-life balance, how they um, make their work, their personal life more fluid and part of their identity. Absolutely. Um I th this is something that Blessing and I, we're both running businesses. We're both, you know, we both have aspirations, career aspirations, and it is something that we've talked about very candidly over the course of our relationship um, and something that we always sort of find ourselves stuck on is that push and pull. So what you just described, we've experienced it both from ourselves and from the people who work on our teams. We can't, you know, we cannot blame anybody for having those feelings. That is what we want. As we talk about building the workplace that we want for ourselves, that's what we all want. Um, but I think one of the pieces that I find really interesting is that what are the, how can we help ourselves and our employees? Like there's no roadmap for working in these environments. And I think what I've noticed over the past two and a half years since COVID has, um, you know, really obviously was in full force and affected, impact every part of our lives. Um, 
what are some, I mean, what are your thoughts about some of the ways that people can better empower teams to work under these circumstances, which I think set people up for failure because we don't know how to meet the KPIs and have the conversations in a way that is respectful of these circumstances. Yes, that's that's a really good question. And there's a lot there. Uh, in fact, we wrote How the Future Work Works, the book, about that specific question because people were understanding there was a need to redesign how we work, but then it was a question of how do we actually do that? And the most successful leaders I have seen, especially over the last 18 months, are those that agree across their executive teams on what are some of their principles? What are the behavioral guardrails that they want to see within their organization? An example of a principle could be, we're taking a learning mindset, or we're going flexible first. But then a guardrail could be, this is the behavior we want to see. Leaders need to set the tone from the top, or... Let's reevaluate the role of meetings in our organization. But from there, once the principles, once the guardrails have been set, now is the time to have the conversation about trust with your managers. Uh, managers need to figure out what works best for their specific teams. A lot of the companies that I've seen fail when it comes to implementing new work models are those who assume that work is one size fits all, that everybody's work is the same, so everybody needs to be subject to the same policy. Rather, it's Empower your team managers to figure out what works best for them and codify that in something called a team level agreement, an agreement where we talk about when our core working hours are, where we're, we're collaborating synchronously, or how do we actually want to debate and discuss hairy topics? And one of the favorite things that, um, that I like to talk to my team about on a quarterly basis is like, how do we want to think about our offsite this quarter? What do we want to do? What sort of uh, skills do we want to build? How do we want to build rapport with one another? But the team level agreement is an opportunity for people in the organization to voice what they need, but also for leaders to take the opportunity to say, all right, like this is what we are going to implement for our specific team based on how we work. I love that so much. I think when I read, when I read, you know, how the future works, um, which by the way, it's phenomenal, we're researched. Um, I love, you know, when you specifically discussed with various CEOs um, about what they're thinking and how they are, um, you know, approaching this remote work, hybrid work, and some of the learnings from it. And, and you know, I imagine you wrote this book in the thick of the pandemic and, you know, and it seems like Slack has been able to honestly lead the way, right, in terms of let us like, you know, be the one to really try out everything and see what actually works and then let that inform how the rest of us work. And, you know, we use Slack as well internally within what honestly, and I have just seen the evolution. And so when I listened to your book, I was just like literally nodding, right? Um, I loved, you know, when, we, when you talked about Huddle and how that came about um, within the Slack as a Slack feature. Uh, because, you know, when, when, when teams need to get together, right, they sort of need to get together, like, <laughs> you know, as quickly as possible, um, especially when, you know, it's within the core hours. I love the idea of the core hours. And so one of the things that resonated with me from everything you've been saying is this redesigning, mm -hmm. right? Because we have to get it right. And, and in order for us to get it right, we need to be open 
to the idea that it's going to be completely different from what we were used to. This is it, the new normal. And it's actually also going to take time, right? Redesign, when you're redesigning anything, it's going to take time. And so that time, I think we're there. I don't think we are there there, right? We're not like, this is, there's a lot of push and pull, like Andrea said. And so I want to, I want to just get your take on, you know, CEOs and leaders in corporate America that have embraced flexibility. They've said that, you know what, we've seen productivity increase. We've seen um, that people are actually getting the work done. Um, our financials have not been impacted. The bottom line of the company has not been impacted, but yet they want people to come back into the office. And so, you know, I want to imagine, right, that um, these companies have invested in real estate. Mm -hmm. They have built care or infrastructure around buildings, and they want to see returns on, on that investment. What is your take on this? How is this really what we should be doing, going back to the office? So, so there's going back to the office periodically, and there's going back into the office full-time, nine to five, five days a week. So I think there's a distinction to be made there. Um, going flexible doesn't mean that the office is dead. My view is that it means that the office has taken on a new role. And, and what we are seeing is that 76% of employees want to go back into the office periodically to build rapport with their teammates, to do some in-person collaboration, to ultimately foster camaraderie. But if they're working at a culture that's focused on outcomes and the value that they're driving, they don't need to come into the office every single day to show that they're working. And that distinction, I think, is important. And I think um, a lot of people are saying, you need to come back into the office because I need to see that you're working. Or that's the way that I grew my career. I was the first and the last to leave. And so much of this is the reliance on presenteeism, the I know this person has a lot of hustle and great work ethic because they are in the office 18 hours a day, or they're the first to respond to my message. Those days have got to go. They are burning people out. And it's also not the necessarily the most inclusive um, work culture for most people. And so it's critical as we redesign work to think about the outcomes for success. Like, how are we actually thinking about what the model employee or who the model employee is and the behavior that they exhibit? And ultimately, how are we measuring their value? And it can't be sacrificing your health, sacrificing time with your friends and family, sacrificing your contributions to the community and for your job. That, that can no longer be the model employee because we're not going to necessarily be able to build healthy, productive environments if we continue that type of behavior. Absolutely. When we when we speak to moms, um, especially moms that are currently struggling, they are, you know, in an organization that wants them to come back in, into the office. And they said, look, you know, our productivity has gone up. Yes, we've increased, you know, um, you know, we're doing more, right? A lot of us are doing more on the home front and uh, more than usual, um, especially since we've caught the commute, we've you know, um, we've gained some time back, right, from, from that commuting and um, in technology, you know, you can order Instacart, you can order various things and Amazon and things are in your house. And so they, we've seen, you know, that we are more productive, right? Um, and, and moms are saying, well, why don't organizations get this? Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, when they're being told to come back to the office, they want to push back. 
what is your um, advice for, you know, parents, caregivers who are 73% of the workforce who mm-hmm. have now found this new normal that allows them to be present for their family, to reduce the impact of commuting, of literally running around, jumping on, you know, trains and subways and buses. And now they've regained that time and they don't want to give it up. And so we've seen a lot of moms saying, we, we won't go back if this is the case, right? So how can they advocate for themselves and push back um, when they're being told to come back into the office? Yes, I am one of those moms. I will never go back to the office five days a week. Like I, th- I think back uh, prior to the pandemic when I would drop the girls off at preschool, I would sprint to the bus, get on the bus, there'd be traffic. I'd sprint off the bus and oftentimes jaywalk or run across the street in order to make that meeting and not be late. Like I would risk my own safety in order to, to show up to that meeting on time. And then the whole day would be very harried to come back home, make dinner, put the kids to bed. It was it was really tough. And but it felt like that's what I needed to do at the time. And to your point, Blessing, like I am talking to dozens of women every week who are like, my employer wants me to go back five days a week and I'm not going to do it. So there's two approaches that I recommend. First step is to say, what are the, the core outcomes, the core goals that I'm responsible for? Let's define them. What do I need to do this quarter? What do I need to do for the next six months? What does my team need to do as well? And then having the conversation of why do I need to come back into the office? What I, I, I have confidence that I'll be able to meet these goals by working flexibly, asking the question of why and really pushing that. Also encouraging a team level agreement with your manager to figure out um, what are the working practices that are more inclusive for for everybody on the team. Now, I'd like to say that this is the fix all, but what I'm hearing is that most of the time this doesn't work because a lot of leaders are saying, no, we're going back to the way that I'm used to. So what we're also seeing in play is the great resignation. And um, we're seeing that particularly in play for, for working parents, namely working moms. And the great resignation, the way that plays out is also looking for new opportunities where there is leadership with trust. There is leadership with choice and people are able to pursue opportunities with a more flexible work environment. This is not, this is the tension that we're seeing here. I wish I had a better answer of leaders are automatically receptive and saying, yes, we're gonna change how things are done. That happens oftentimes. Having the conversation, focusing on outcomes is is the first step, but also a piece of advice I give, um, give people I talk to is like also, Find that culture, find the leadership that you want to work for and that you're motivated by and pursue that as well. This is the reason why we're seeing so much at play with regards to people leaving opportunities, finding leaders that they want to work for. It's because they want to be trusted. Katarina Berg of of Spotify um, puts it really well when she said, you can't hire adults and treat them like children and expect this to not backfire. We're seeing the backfire in play right now. Um, And so my advice in terms of advocacy is speak up, focus on the outcomes, but also be open to other opportunities as well um, in a culture that, that will help you thrive. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I think about, you know, a lot of women um, and men and parents and caregivers who are not in a knowledge economy, right? And they have to physically be in the, in the office, in the restaurants, in the hotels, you know, at the airport, um, what have you seen in the, this 
industries where we're not able to achieve um, the flex, well, maybe not the flexibility, but we, we have to be in the office. We have to be at our job location in person. What have you seen um, works? Uh, and, and I say this because I know, like from listening to your book, which I read on audio, listen on audio, um, that there, there, there is a way, there should be a way for us to still achieve flexibility, yeah. even when we expect people to come into the office. Yes. So can you share a little bit about that, please? Yes. So a big part of the book, we talk about flexibility. So much of the conversation is where, uh, flexibility and where you work. But there's also conversation about flexibility and when you work. Ultimately, it's how you work. It's about giving people more choice. One of our partners at Future Forum, Boston Consulting Group, recently conducted a study for um, frontline workers, those who are um, going into the retail stores or going in to work at the restaurants um, every single day. And what we found from that research, I thought was fascinating, was that flexibility was, was a desire um, in terms of when people work. So they wanted to want to have more choice in terms of swapping shifts. It's crazy to think that like many shifts are still being done on a whiteboard or they're being done on a piece of paper that's emailed out. And uh, what we're seeing is increasingly organizations are investing in technology that enable people to swap their shifts with one another. And, and um, that actually helps build trust across teams as well. So investing in technology in terms of swap shifts is, is one thing. Another thing is like, what is, the shift, like when is a shift taking place? We're also seeing an increased number of uh, organizations investing and experimenting with parent shifts. So starting a shift at 9 a.m. and ending it at 2 p.m. Rather than the, you know, 8 a.m. to to 4 p.m. that basically uh, conflicts with drop off and pick up. So experimenting with even what do those shifts look like and being more inclusive of caregivers. But what we also see is that these employees want um, want investment in themselves. They want to actually have access to upskilling. They want their employers to say, hey, here are other professional development opportunities. And so that's also been really illuminating for me as I look through the research is flexibility is one point, but then also being led by um, executives who show that they care and are willing to invest their employees, it goes a long way. In some of the research that I've read, um, one area was that employees wanted to feel appreciated. They wanted to hear thank you more. So flexibility is, yes, it's part of the conversation around how do we treat our employees like humans rather than resources? How do we treat our humans like the adults that they are and lead with trust? And how do we combine flexibility, flexible work policies, shifts, et cetera, with also reskilling our managers to say thank you more and to show gratitude more and ultimately to listen to their employees more. Um, this is all part of the broader labor conversation that we're having today. They're always gluten-free, dairy-free and completely powered by plants with over 65 options and flexible plans you can change, pause, skip or cancel at any time. Splendid Spoon is a great partner to me helping take the load off of food prep and allowing me to enjoy the simple moments that can mean so much. Splendid Spoon has my back when time is just not on my side. Try Splendid Spoon today by visiting SplendidSpoon.com and enter promo code HONESTLY, H-O-N-E-S-T-L-Y, to receive $50 off your first box.
think that's a great point, Sheila, that, you know, I've heard you make in a few different um, interviews that I've listened to this idea, you know, a few things, you know, having goals oriented sort of culture surrounding the work that you do. Um, and the idea that some of the flexibility that we lack and that we most crave is being heard by our managers or higher ups about the nuances of the work that we're doing that, um, you know, flexibility is not a one size fits all. That's the opposite of flexibility, right? It's not all one way for to say, you know, it's got to be all remote or it's all in person. Obviously that completely ignores the reality of frontline workers, as you mentioned. And, um, you know, some people have preferences to get out of their home and they want a place to work. And so kind of accommodating all of that, I think opening up those conversations is brings us back to this the core mission of this season of the podcast, which is taking the day off, giving ourselves a break. You know, the way that we can unburden ourselves by being able, feeling empowered to have these conversations with our managers to say things like, you know, and for us, it's, we are, I own a PR agency, we service clients, we are, there still is a lot of fear in our world about how the clients will respond to, you know, a flexible day off or, you know, we're not holding meetings on Fridays because we want to do a good job and we want to be competitive. So that's, that's my question for you. How do you sort of kind of swallow that fear and um, really lean back on these principles that we're talking about? Because I do know my experience is that in the heat of the moment, sometimes it's hard to do that. And it's easier to kind of fall back to old habits that you feel confident in because they've worked before they worked for the clients they work for the consumer you know again like quote unquote but they don't work yeah they don't work for you no they don't work for my team yeah no it's um i had a really illuminating conversation it was 2018 and i had adopted the work twice as hard to make it half as far mentality for my entire career and in 2018, I had just come back from maternity leave with my second daughter. I had another daughter who, my other daughter was two at the time. And I had the opportunity to talk to uh, one of our board members. Her name was Edith Cooper. She was the former head of HR at Goldman Sachs. And I said, Edith, like I look around, I don't see a lot of women that look like me. And I look up and I see very few women in, in the executive ranks. Like, I don't know if this is worth it. I don't know if I should stay and, and um, this is no longer working for me. And her advice to me was, you need to, uh, you need to stick around to show that it can be done. And at first, when I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much pressure. Like, what does that even mean? And then as I started thinking about it more, I was, oh, I need to show that it can be done because success is def- defined by living my life on my terms. Yes. And the reason why I'm telling the story is because so much of how we think we need to work has been defined and dictated by outdated norms that weren't necessarily led by us. And when we're talking to clients, when we're talking to our team, so much of this needs to be operating from a place of psychological safety where you can say, hey, I wanna have a conversation of how we're gonna work together. And it kind of comes back to that team level agreement. You can have that even with your, your clients of this is, the culture that we have built at our organization. These are some of the values that we want our our employees to embody. And this is what it's gonna look like and how we work. 
So let's just set expectations with one another. Because to your point, Andrea, when you're in the heat of the moment and expectations are over here, but the conversation's never been had, um, it, it just makes for, for disagreement or miscommunication or friction. And so there's an opportunity at the beginning of every client engagement or of every team meeting where it's like, how are we working together? Like, what can we, let's take an experimental mindset. Like, what should we start? What should we stop? And what should we continue doing? Um, and what I found is that there are very few people who are resistant to that conversation because they want to figure out what works best for everybody. Um, and they also want to bring their own perspective. So back to the, the original question of like, it doesn't necessarily work for everybody or doesn't necessarily work for us. In redesigning work, like I, I firmly believe that we need to speak up in terms of what's working and what's not. Otherwise, we're going to go back to how things used to be. And it's all showing the data, the trends, our own experiences show that it did not work. Sheila, can you, you mentioned that, you know, you yourself are a mother. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about, I'm sure that there's a personal experience that led you to this mission. Um, it seems like it was even, it predated your experiences as a mother. I'd love to hear about, you know, what prompted that and where, where that originated. Yes. Um, how much time do we have? <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, when I joined Future Forum, I, I co-founded the organization because I realized that work was broken for most of us and that there was a consistent pattern, especially that I was seeing among women as well as working parents where people work, 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 work. Then they realized that like they couldn't fit the society norm of having it all or doing it all. They weren't necessarily spending meaningful time with their family. They didn't necessarily feel like they were doing a great job working. And so oftentimes women left the workforce. We're now at, I believe, a 33-year low when it comes to women's um, participation in the workforce. If that's not a signal that this system is totally broken, then I, I don't know what is. Um, and, and so with the trends that I was seeing around COVID, with my own experience as a woman of color and realizing like, wow, I don't fit in to this norm. I don't fit into playing this game. And also as we, we kicked um, the work around Future Forum off, it felt like finally we could have the conversations that we're having today. This is 2020. I'll give you an example of some of the data we uncovered early in 2020, where we noticed that sense of belonging and relationships with coworkers was actually better when working remotely among women, as well as people of color versus working full-time in the office. And a few people were like, how is that possible? Because, you know, we're in the office and that's where your sense of belonging is created. And we talked a lot more about code switching. Code switching is the act of changing your behavior, the way that you dress, the way that you talk in order to fit into the prevailing norm. Code switching is getting a call from your kid's school in the middle of a meeting and apologizing profusely and running out of the meeting and whispering and then coming back in, pretending that nothing had happened. Code switching is basically uh, the opposite of psychological safety. And I can confidently say that most of us did that in some form prior to the pandemic, coming into that office every single day. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think my own personal mission is just is realizing that we have to redesign work, both yeah. in terms of the diversity, equity, inclusion conversation, but also um, parts of the world are experiencing a labor shortage right now. We're experiencing a caregiving crisis. If leaders and employers are not part of this conversation, it's going to impact their businesses as well. So there's, there's a human as well as a business element and the urgency behind this. Absolutely. And, and one of the reasons 
um, we are literally, um, you know, having this podcast and the theme is taking the day off powered by Splendid Spoon is because women especially have been through everything in the last two and a half years from a formula shortage to caregiving crisis to tampon shortages to Roe v. Wade, our reproductive rights literally yanked away from us and just so many other things. And so, you know, we looked at the workplace and said, we're still doing a lot. <laughs> Everyone is still doing too much. Um, and, and, and yes, productivity is great, um, but we want women to also take some time off to just decompress and do something outside of their partner and their parents, of their role as parents and their role as professionals. Um, because one thing that we've seen with flexibility is that there's no start and end time. I don't know about you all, but I woke up this morning at 2 a.m., okay? And I was, you know, I'm in Los Angeles. I have a team in Nigeria. I have a team in New York. I have a team in San Francisco. So I am in meetings at 2 a.m. I took a nap at 4 a.m. And I'm up again, just working. And so there is no boundaries. And, and, and that's why we need to start, um, you know, incorporating this idea of taking the day off moments, which is how do we unplug from all, the, you, you know, all of this flurry of activities, whether it's work or personal or professional, to really allow all of us to take that time to improve our well-being improve our health. We've seen more mental health issues, women with stress-related diseases, um, you know, burned out and exhausted. And so what is your, um, what have you heard and seen as companies, um, you know, and all of us embrace this flexibility in the workplace, which a lot of companies are doing well, like Slack. How are you all supporting the well-being of employees and really, um, you know, sending the message that this needs to be prioritized. Because yeah. I mean, if we don't prioritize this well-being, then it's all gonna it's all gonna come back and crash and burn on us. I feel like in the next couple of years, we're gonna find out that you know we're all just executing around the clock, and suddenly we have you know, and we're already seeing that there's a rise in just stress-related diseases. And so please share with us, what are some of the guardrails that really need to be in place so that we can prioritize taking some time off for our well-being? Yes. Oh, there's, there, those, that's an excellent question. And it really hits home for me um, through, in terms of the journey that I've, I've been on in the last couple of years, um, in terms of my own sense of self. So we can, we can get to that in a second. Um, so much of this effort and redesigning has to come from executives and the, the behavior that they are exhibiting and the model that they're setting. You know, I, um, I've, I've had to give feedback to many executives when I'm like, you're, and you're sending that message at 1030 and you're saying, don't respond. People are going to respond. They're going to see it and they're going to go to bed thinking about it. You, you need to think about your own behavior and, and, and what you're saying versus doing. When early in the pandemic, I, um, when my kids were at home, I would send, set the status message in Slack that said, I'm working from nine to noon. I'm out from noon to five chasing unicorns with my kids or looking for butterflies, just trying to make it a little bit more human. 
And I received countless number of messages from people across the organization saying, thank you for doing that because it's showing that it's okay to be a mom or to be a parent. Like, yes, it was nice to receive those, those, uh, those expressions of gratitude, but also like it showed how, how people were not necessarily feeling comfortable and they're trying to balance both, especially during those early days. And, and I think that so much is um, about this is like the model that we're setting in the executive level, the guardrails, as well as thinking about those core team working hours and when you're expecting people to be on and off. Um, so those are all kind of so, some solutions, but I think there's a broader cultural norm that's happening right now. And it's that, uh, especially for working mothers, there's an identity of being a mom and there's an identity of being an employee, but there's not a lot of room for, for much else. And I think there needs to be a broader cultural movement, especially across leaders and companies to realize that the office should not be a place to solve our society's loneliness problem. Yeah. And instead give employees the space to fill that office shaped hole in their identity by pursuing other things. Like you, if you have full, employees with fuller and richer lives where they're able to live live their lives beyond work and you support that, they're actually going to end up being more engaged and more productive as well. And, and I think that this argument is still very fuzzy for many executives and it's continuing to show that like happiness leads to more engagement, which leads to more productivity. So you need to give people the room to address yep. burnout and also figure out things that bring them joy outside of their day-to-day -day office work. Yes, I love that. Blessing had to hop off because she's yeah. actually giving a talk at USC yeah. today. Oh. Um, and it's so, you know, I just wanted to kind of circle back to the individual, like the personal experience. Yeah. Um, I think it's funny, so much of those sort of, st the, the stories that become like part of our personal lore are worn as badges of honor, you know, and that's something that we talk about with burnout culture a lot. I know for myself, there was a moment where years ago, my kids are a little older now, they're seven and they will be seven and 10 in October. And in my early stages of motherhood, a client that I worked so closely with said to me that he would have never even known I was a mother, yeah. you know? And he said it as though it was so complimentary and I took it in the spirit that it was intended, but I, I couldn't help think about the fact that my success is being judged based on my ability to hide the fact that I'm a mother. And that is not my goal. And that is not the impression I want to leave. I don't want my kids to feel that they are something that I'm trying to put into a box somewhere. And because so much of my professional development, I think is tied to my experiences as a mother as well. And I want to enjoy both of those things. Mm -hmm. And I never, it took me a long time to realize that even though that was being done unintentionally, subconsciously, that in, that probably was giving it the example, projecting the, setting the example to the people that work for me, whose contributions I value so much and whose effort I value so much and whose hard work is visible all, every day as though that was what was expected. It was unintentional on my part. And I think that there is a part of the conversation where it's like us versus them, that it doesn't need to be that way. Because I do believe a lot of people who are making the wrong choices as 
it seems like I was, you know, at that time. And I don't want to, you know, I, I, I punished myself over that a little bit. Um, it's not intentional. It's, it's done trying to, you know, be the best leader for the team that you can be and keep things as stable as possible. So, you know, I don't know if that's something that you've ever encountered the us versus them. And, you know, like, let's kind of, let's get rid of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my epiphany around that was around the same time where I was feeling very burnt out and really questioning what I wanted to do professionally. And I read um, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kennedy. Yep. And, and in there, in the book, he talks about assimilation versus inclusion. And assimilation is basically fitting into the norm, is conforming. And inclusion was actually a culture and organization that accepted diverse viewpoints and accepted, um, accepted, you know, psychological safety and jettisoned the outdated norms of professionalism. But what I realized when I read that was I thought I was building this inclusive environment, but similarly, all I was doing was assimilating. I was straightening my hair for those board meetings. I was taking those speaking classes to speak more like a guy. I was, um, you know, adopting these leadership practices that weren't authentic to me whatsoever. But I was doing that because that's what I felt like I needed to do to fit in and be a better leader. Once I had that epiphany where I realized that my leadership style wasn't, you know, the same as my, my boss's leadership style. And I realized that like actually bringing more of my personality into work rather than always being buttoned up and on was actually making it easier for other people to do that. When I realized that like assimilating wasn't actually doing anything for anybody that I was leading or the broader organization it really changed the way I thought about my career. It's the way that I thought about presenteeism and always feeling like I needed to be on. And it also opened up the doors to, you know, start Future Forum and to write a book. Because in my head, it was like, okay, if I want to assimilate to a career trajectory, these are the things that I want to do. And what we're seeing increasingly is that people are pursuing opportunities that actually give them purpose and offer them more fulfillment. And that actually creates more engaged employees as well. So yeah. I think we need to continue to have the conversations of, wow, I'm thinking that this is not professional. Why is that? I'm thinking that this person wouldn't be a good culture ad for this role. Why is that? And, and continuing to question the norms that have been ingrained in our minds for so long to actually embrace inclusion in a, an authentic way. Yeah, totally. I think that's excellent feedback. And I think that there's something very tangible there. You know, the ability to look inward and see you know, and really understand, because I think that in this environment that we've been working in for however many years, that muscle hasn't been flexed and we don't, it's not, that instinct really isn't there until it kind of hits you in the face. Yeah. Um, so just sort of shifting gears a little bit, I want to be mindful of your time. Um, can you, are there, who are you, who do you admire? Who do you look up to? You know, what books, what podcasts, um, who's really setting, who's doing exciting things that you, you know, you take your inspiration from? Yes. It's a, you know, I read a mix of fiction and nonfiction, and I've been reading a lot of books about um, women leaders as well. Uh, something that I'm actually reading right now, and I think Blessing is involved um, with her work is Eve Rodsky's How to Find Your Unicorn Space. Because I read Fair Play, did Fair Play with my, my husband, but 
what I have been struggling with personally is I'm a mom, I'm an employee, I'm an author, but what, like what else, like what brings me joy? And, and I had a conversation with someone earlier this week where they asked me the question, do you like yourself? And I said, well, of course I like myself. Like, do you know yourself? And that was a hard one for me to answer because I do know myself, but I have in the attempt to be a present and mindful mother, to be a great leader, to do all these things really that are helping me achieve, I've also sort of lost track of what are the small things that bring me joy? And that's why I think um, the the take the day off message is, is really important because most mothers in America don't have the room, the luxury, or they don't feel like they, they can take the time for themselves or take the day off and and discover who, who they are and what, what continues to bring them joy outside of their families or outside of their work. Uh, so it's, it's something that I am continuing to explore through meditation, um, through reading, and also just trying things out. Um, yeah. Remind myself of, you know, who I am and bring back that fun self that I, That's <laughs> that amazing. I have once in a while. That is amazing. I, a little bit later on this afternoon, I'm actually volunteering in my kid's library at their school, yeah. like yeah. check out the library books and help the kids you know, find their life or whatever. And I'm so excited to do it. It was something that I didn't really do so much of in the past because I had to work and I'm, you know, really obviously very focused on being successful at work. And so that is something along the same lines of what you were explaining. That's something being par participating in my kid's childhood in that way is something that is important to me. Um, what are, if you don't mind, just to sort of wrap things up, can you share with us what your daily routine looks like and how you structure your day? Sure. When I became a mom, when, when my husband and I became parents, we had the conversation around how we wanted to answer the question when people asked us, how are you doing? And one thing we agreed on was that we were never going to say super, super busy because busyness is oftentimes the way that you prioritize your your life and so we wanted it we we made it clear at the beginning we wanted to prioritize our family and friends um as much as we could and so that's kind of been reflected in actually how we structure our day uh he goes into the office around 5 30 in the morning so i have the mornings with the kids before i drop them off and then he usually does the afternoon pickups and activities so my day is usually um wake up get the kids ready uh get them breakfast and I have a little orange electric bike. And so I bike them to, to school every day. Um, I come back and my form of my ritual is I have a cup of tea and I clean up the kitchen a bit and I, and I read something that's not related to work. Uh, and then I start my day around nine or I start my, my work day around nine. Um, and it's a combination usually of writing focused work. And I have my synchronous time, my core team work hours with my team between 9am and 1pm. And um, then usually in the afternoon, I do a combination of catching up with colleagues, self-care, jump on the Peloton, go to a yoga class, or do, do more writing, um, reviews with my team around 4.30, make dinner for my family. We have dinner around 5.30, and then and I try to spend the evenings with them, um, as, well as, my, uh, as well as with my husband, to basically have dinner together and do some reading and ultimately have some quality focused time. 
So my goal is to have dinner with my family during the week, at least four days, four out of five days. And, and I prioritize my professional commitments accordingly. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and yeah, and usually in the evening, it's, it's um, things that spark joy for me uh, if I do have the energy to do them. <laughs> I love that. And I so appreciate that. And I think that our listeners really will very much value hearing your candor in discussing the challenges that you face in sort of navigating everything. And you had mentioned that you don't believe in work-life balance, which um, I'm so ready to have that term just removed because it doesn't, you know, just as an offshoot, it like you strive for balance, but it's a fail. It's, it's, you're setting yourself up for failure right off of the bat. Um, And there's no, there's no agility in that sort of notion that there will always be balance. So I appreciate that. I think our listeners will really appreciate that. Um, To sort of end things off, if you is, where can our listeners find you? Where would you like to connect? Yes. So um, a lot of our work is published at uh, www.futureforum.com, but you can follow me on LinkedIn as well. Um, And I'm happy to chat more with those who are interested around workplace equity, flexibility, and, and really how to redesign work to be better for all. Sheila, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, we really appreciate it. Co- connect with Sheila on LinkedIn. I, I did before this conversation. I look forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. As a working mother of four, juggling my own business with the needs of my family has often led to deprioritizing myself and my own health. I need time back but it's a struggle to decide what to outsource without replacing it with guilt. That's why I am so glad to have found Splendid Spoon. Splendid Spoon brings me nourishing, delicious, healthy, veggie-fueled meals that are ready when I am. They're always gluten-free, dairy-free, and completely powered by plants with over 65 options and flexible plans you can change, pause, skip, or cancel at any time. Splendid Spoon is a great partner to me, helping take the load off of food prep and allowing me to enjoy the simple moments that can mean so much. Splendid Spoon has my back when time is just not on my side. Try Splendid Spoon today by visiting SplendidSpoon.com and enter promo code HONESTLY, H-O-N-E-S-T-L-Y, to receive $50 off your first box.